Well, I want to say a big thank you right here at the top of today's sermon to all of our Connect Group leaders. Can you just give uh, some applause in the chats? Thank all of our Connect Groups. Our Connect Groups are winding down for the semester, kind of hitting pause for the summer, allowing our leaders to be refreshed, recharge, and then we'll kick back up another semester of small groups here in the fall, and we'll be sharing with you more ways that you can join a group in the fall and uh, here in the next few weeks, even those that might be stirring and feeling interested in leading a group in the fall, we'll be talking more about it. We heard some great stories and testimonies. I am so, um, I got to be careful here. Um, I am so proud of our church. I'm so proud of you. Um, and the way you have loved one another through this season, the way you have prayed for, encouraged, and especially those of you a part of a connect group, I am just so, so proud uh, to be your pastor, so proud of how you've engaged and interacted and encouraged and met, and we've tried new things, and some things we like to Zoom, and some things we're like, I'm tired of Zooming, and like, I get it, we were all there, and, and I'm so thankful, so proud. I heard some, some really great stories. In fact, one of our, one of our groups, um, there was uh, a, a lady's husband uh, was at a point where, because of some dialysis and some medicine, uh, got to the point where IVs were needed to be uh, done every single day, and there were some ladies in the Connect group that heard about this, and they, they were retired or had some time available, and they used to work in the medical field, and they're like, well, we'll come over, and so they've split the time uh, all throughout the week to come to the house to help uh, make sure the medicine and the insulin and, and all the IVs and all the stuff that needs to be done, they are taking literal care of each other because it's the body of Christ caring for one another, and I, we're hearing Stories like that all throughout, ways that people have been personally engaging with each other, and it's so good, it's so right, it's so wonderful, and I just want to say how proud I am and so thankful, and I know that today was going to be uh, originally the day that we were re-entering and opening wide, and we were all coming together, and it was going to be a party, and uh, we were ready to go, but we've had to push pause and push back our full re entry into the building at least two weeks, and uh, we'll, we'll stay connected. If uh, you're not getting our emails or our text messages right now, pull out your phone and text the keyword news, N-E-W-S, to 620-604-9280, and there'll be a link that comes right back where you can put your email address in, your name in there. We want to make sure you're getting the right communication that you need so that as we um, roll with the, the punches of life. Uh, we are all on the same page and able to move forward, and I'm thankful for your flexibility as uh, we're still gathering in smaller numbers right now uh, in, in house parties all over, so hopefully you're hanging with some people in your house. We've got some folks that are looking good, and uh, looks like they've well-weathered the corona season, looking tan and beautiful as ever, and so we're thankful for it. Well, I have a riddle for you today as we get into the message, as we've been looking at the parables and the stories of Jesus that are a little bit like a riddle where you kind of have to put your thinking caps on, and these stories that Jesus tells, you have to really kind of think and say, hmm, what is he saying in this? And so, Thought it'd be fun to start with the riddle. Here's the riddle this morning. Put, it, put your thinking caps on. You can whisper the answer to your neighbor or throw it in the chat box. Here's the riddle. You see a boat filled with people 
yet there isn't a single person on board. How is that possible? I'll read it again. You see a boat filled with people, yet there isn't a single person on board. How is that possible? Do, 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 Jeopardy music playing, help you to think, help you to think. If you think you know, throw it in the chat box right there. Lean over and whisper, Here, here's the answer to the riddle. All the people on the boat are married. That's how there isn't a single person on board. And the moans and the groans just keep growing. Well, let's get to the word, shall we? Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1, the title of today's sermon, and it, it'll make all sense, it's Wedding Party, Wedding Party. So Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1, this is the parable Jesus told. It said, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. Everybody say, Five were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. If you can highlight in your Bible, highlight that phrase, make note of it. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were, while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, don't, I don't know you. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. Wedding party. How many of you uh, have been to a wedding recently? Uh, if you're in the online, why don't you throw a little bride or a groom emoji up there? Been to a wedding recently. Over the course of my life in full-time ministry, I have officiated so many weddings that I actually have stopped counting at this point. And uh, one thing, though, that I've learned about weddings is that as the officiant of the wedding ceremony, ain't nobody watching me or paying attention to me. It is not about me. Now, I have a part to play, but I'm not the central figure in the wedding. In fact, every person at the wedding has a role to play. Every person in the wedding party has a part to play. We all, when we attend a wedding, there is a part to play. In fact, the other thing that I know about weddings is this, is that it takes a lot, a lot of prep work and preparation for a wedding. If you're going to have a wedding and have a wedding party, it's going to take a ton 
of getting ready. And we have a phrase that we say in, in our wedding ceremonies. We have everybody stand, and in honor of the bride, stand up. Right? And everybody stands, and here comes the bride, all dressed in why? Right? Like, there is this phrase that we say, here comes the bride. So much of the wedding, and rightfully so, it's about the bride. In first century Palestine, and to the early listeners, and to the Jewish perspective, listening to this story, it would have been a little bit different. For them, it's here comes the groom. Everything was, was flipped around. See, the groom had a very active role. The celebrations of the weddings were magnificent. It was a grand affair if there ever was one. They, the groom, uh, had such a role to play. And these wedding parties, it was not just a one-day, not just a two-day, not just a three-day. It was like an all-week event. And some of you have had your kids get married, and you barely survived one wedding party. You're like, oh, thank God. It's only one day, right? Like, I can get by with that. But all week long, there was a, a, a proposal that would happen. Then there would be the, the purchasing of the bride, a dowry of sorts. And I'm sitting here as a dad of two daughters thinking, I think we need to bring that back. We need to, like, like I guarantee you there is a price that this young man is going to be paying if he wants my daughter's hand. He's going to be a man of integrity. He's going to be willing to pay the price to be a hard worker. And you bet your bottom dollar I'm checking his tithing record before he ever gets yes. Why? Because if he can't be trusted with the money that God's entrusted, I ain't giving him my precious daughter. Ain't no way. I think we ought to bring that back. But the, the groom would go to the parents' house of the bride and the dowry, and he would pay, and there would be an exchanging, and then he would go away, and everything would get ready. And when the time comes, he would come back to where the bridesmaids are, and he would be there with them, and this would be the return of the groom. I don't know if you're catching an analogy that there is a a purpose and a proposal, there is a purchase, then there is a return of a groom, and then there is a grand party once the groom returns. And if you are new to studying scripture, I, I just want to let you in on a little uh, note here, is that the groom in this story is Jesus. He's the one who showed up with a purpose purchased your salvation he's gonna return again and then there's gonna be a wedding feast and party in heaven and it's gonna be a grand affair yet again when we look at this parable there are a lot of things we could talk about right like we could talk about this from the jewish perspective where um interpreting this in a way that would help us to see that it was the jewish people that were there to usher in the arrival of the messiah and some of the jews have chosen to believe in jesus and the messiah and some have not yet chosen to believe that jesus we could look at it and interpret this from that understanding we could 
We could talk about it from an eschatological perspective. And we could wax poetically and use really big theological words to talk about the second coming of Jesus and all of the judgments that will eventually take place. We could talk about how there isn't really a salvation judgment for those who are in Christ, but rather there is a stewardship judgment that we all will experience when we get to that moment of Christ's second return. Uh, we could talk about all of those things. We could talk about the, the interesting fact of the reality that there is an element of preparation that we need for eternity that we must do now. Jesus himself said, uh, don't just store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Have you ever wondered why in the world do you need treasures in heaven? Unless there is some life to be lived. Once the party is over, when the new world comes, what is it that we would need that? We could sit here and intellectually pontificate upon the potential wonderings of what all that might mean and to edge into the mysteries of what that could look like. But that's not really what I think we need to do today. As I was studying and looking at this, what I really felt like the Lord wanted us to land and to look at is the contrast between the wise and the foolish. The wise and the foolish. How do you know which one is which? They were all ten there. They all ten made the wedding party. They made the bride's top ten friends. They were in. They all went to the same church. They all were a part of the same denomination. They all wore the right t-shirts. They all talked the same, act the same. They were all pure in their lives. They were all there invited to be in the wedding party. This, this wasn't a contrast between evil and good. It's not a contrast between righteous and unrighteous, wicked and righteous, lost and found. No, this is a parable about people who are already in and invited to and ready to participate in the party. These are the people who sit among us, who attend church week in and week out, who give us thumbs ups and likes and say amen and sing the songs and know the Bible. There is an element of knowledge and awareness of truth. Versus there being an application of truth. How do you know? There is a difference between having an awareness and application when it comes to the truth of God's word. There are many people who know certain things about God, but yet haven't applied those things about God to their lives. How do you know? How do you know? Because on the outside looking in, just showing up to church, claiming and professing Christianity, how do you know which one is the wise and which one is the foolish? Because they all had oil, they all had lamps, they all rested and fell asleep, they all were invited, and they all had a part to play. And they were all playing the part. How do you know which one is which? And more specifically, how do you know which one you are? How do I know which one I am? And is it even our job to figure out which one is sitting next to us? All of these things I, I want us to unpack. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this statement down. It's a bit, bit of a, a full statement, so get ready to, to log it down. And if you're taking notes, put it in the chat room. Here, here's what it looks like. This is the big idea, the entire sermon in one sentence. Here's the point today that I want us to study and look at. From this parable, and that's this the relationship you long to possess is found in the priority, 
an ongoing purposeful practice of spiritual disciplines. The relationship you long to possess is found in the priority and ongoing purposeful practice of spiritual disciplines. I think many of us would be willing to admit we want God in our lives. I think many of us would admit that we want more of God in our lives. I think we all recognize that relationships matter and relationships are important. And if we're going to have a robust life of faith, if we are going to, when when the time comes, whenever we'd be found to be in the wise bridesmaids grouping, there is an understanding that if we want to possess, if we want to be on that side of it, that the relationship that we long to possess is only going to be found in the priority and ongoing purposeful practice of spiritual disciplines. Pastor, what's a, what's a spiritual discipline? Well, it's things like gathering with the believers. It's, it's things like reading the Bible for yourself. It's things like learning to pray and practicing prayer. It's things like communion. It's things like silence. It's things like repentance, giving forgiveness, serving other people, practices of what it looks like to live out a life of faith, a faith-filled Life, these spiritual disciplines must be ongoing, on purpose, practiced as a priority if we are going to experience the relationship that you really long for, that you really want to have. Let's unpack this for a minute, and and I want to use these three words, possession, priority, and purpose, to kind of walk and talk this out for just a few minutes together. Possession priority and purpose possession you have to understand in this story they had oil the wise ones were the ones that possessed a full jar of oil a full jar of oil was more costly than just a little bit of oil see because they had to go out to the field pick the olives grind them down develop the oil themselves it wasn't just some go to the supermarket real quick where unlimited supply was there you couldn't just drop ship a whole container of oil just like you can't drop ship a life of pursuit of god just overnight. You can't just order a life of God uh, a day by day. No, there is a cost that we cannot underestimate when it comes to the life of faith. Some want the party, but nobody really wants to pay the price for the party. And the grander the party, the greater the price. There's something of a price that that we need to have. See, following Jesus and possessing a life of faith is not casual side work. It's not your side hustle on the weekend. It is a life given in pursuit of Jesus. Did did you know uh, that it is estimated that somewhere around 85% of professing Christians don't read the Bible on their own? Some of you are like, my toes are going up under my chair right now, Pastor. Can we get to the part about Jesus and forgiveness and redemption? And like, can we get past this a little bit? There is a possession of understanding and truth of who God is that, that the life of faith requires us. Jesus said it himself. How could you build a building and not count the cost? 
You have to count the cost. If you want to follow Jesus, it's about denying yourself daily. Not just every Sunday I'm going to deny myself. Sunday is my self-denial day. Monday through Saturday, let's party. It's all about my preference, my way of life, my way of living. No, it's an ongoing willing to possess the life of faith and a relationship with God means that we, we pay the price to possess it and own it, not just profess it. There is a difference between professing as being a follower of Jesus and actually possessing the life of faith that comes with following the believer. See, there are those who in Christendom, who profess Christianity, would be considered consumers. There are some within Christendom in the church that would be criticizers. And there are some within Christendom that are actual contributors. We want to be a people here at Faith Church that aren't just casual consumers. We want to be committed contributors to the life of faith in others and in our own lives as well. There is a price to pay for a lot of uh, my early years coming out of high school and going into Bible college, I was full of passion and zeal and love for God, and I was ready to reinvent what church looked like. I was critical of every denomination and church structure and way of doing it, and I was convinced that I was going to lead a revolution into a new way of doing church, and I was critical, and I would criticize people. But you know, the longer I've followed Jesus and the more I've allowed him to possess my heart, I've fallen in love with the local church. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. It is imperfect and not meant to be perfect because until the perfect one appears, we are all just in practice pursuit of him. We've all got our hangups. We've all experienced pain within a church. I get it. I understand it. But that doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater that we no longer, we're just going to profess Christianity in our own way. No, there's something about being joined with other imperfect people to pursue Jesus, to lay a hold of the life of faith. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And the longer you wait for the arrival of something that you've anticipated, the more critical you can become. The longer we've waited to gather back as a church, the longer we've waited for our communities to open up. The tendency is to sit back and criticize. The tendency is to get upset because we can't consume like we want to. There is something of a possession of a life of faith that is unshakable, that is only found when you're willing to pay the price for something and to walk it out. Here's the, here's the reality. You can't borrow some things. There are some things you just can't borrow when it comes to the life of faith. I can't borrow somebody else's virtue. I have to have my own virtue. I can't borrow somebody else's conviction. I have to find that on my own. I, I can't borrow somebody else's knowledge and experience. I need to go and search and find truth and discover what God wants to say in my life. I can't just pass by and borrow somebody else's robust life of faith. Why? Because you can't drop ship something into your life overnight that has taken somebody else 35 years of paying a price for and possessing and grabbing a hold of. Having knowledge isn't the same thing as having an experience applying that knowledge. Here's what I mean, is that if we were gonna use this term wise and foolish, that foolish people use life experiences to interpret truth, while people of wisdom use truth to interpret their life experience flipped around. 
So much today we are interpreting truth based on our life experiences. That's not the wise way of the people of God. The people of God who are growing in wisdom are learning to interpret their life experience through the lens of truth. Because there's a commitment to laying hold. Some truths you don't get until you have a full revelation, until you apply it and do it. Some of these bridesmaids were ready for the long haul and some were not. At the beginning of this year, we made a declaration and I really believe every year I spend time at, towards the end of the year saying, God, what's our word for the year? What's our focus for the year? What, what is it you're doing in our church? And I spent some time at the end of 2019 and the word that God gave us and gave, gave to our church was this word seeds. Seeds. Where things go under the ground and planted and it feels like you're dead and buried, but you're still planted. There's still life. There's something under the subsoil surface level that's active and acting. See, right now, we've been in isolation for 15, 16 weeks, and we're not sure where the life of God is. We're not sure what's happening in faith, but you've got to know that if you planted the seeds in a previous season, even if you're in a waiting, isolated, alone time, that God is still at work. If you're planting seeds right now, for right now, it's too late. You can plant seeds for the next season, but right now, it's not going to happen overnight. You still need to be planting. Every season is a season of planting and harvesting. Let me back that up. Let me correct that. Every season of life is planting, waiting, and harvesting. Five were prepared. Five had planted and prepped and, and were ready with the oil and five were not. Five paid the price to possess it and five did not. Some things you can't borrow. It's a steady investment of scripture. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. If you wish to know God, you must know his word. If you want to know God, you've got to get in his word. This is why this summer, as we're looking through the illustrations of Jesus, we put together this journal for you to walk through and use. It's a reading plan every day. We're starting week number four tomorrow. And it's a journal, a reading plan that takes us through all four gospels in a bouncing around so that we get an idea of the chronological sequence life of Jesus. Using a full four perspective approach to getting an understanding of the full life of Jesus. And we teach you how to use this journal. There's instructions on how to soak scripture, observation, application, prayer. This, this way in which we've been teaching you to get into the word for yourself. We had a testimony come in a couple weeks ago to one of our staff members, and I want to read it to you. It says, so I just wanted to share that last Sunday service just made me want to change some perspectives and, and change my soil. I know I'm a little late to starting this Bible plan but I did last night, and it was the first real uh, Bible plan experience, especially following the soap uh, method that I've done since I was a kid. I feel as though this was one of the final steps I needed to really feel the peace and love and wisdom of God. I have a huge desire stirring in me that I know is just waiting to burst in love and light. 
Friends, if we're going to possess the oil that we need, we have to fuel our lives with the oil of the Spirit and the presence and the life of God. There is a relationship available to you that is so rich, so, so um, life-giving. And God wants you to get to know him on a personal level. If you want to get to know God personally, you've got to get to know his word personally. If you haven't picked up one of these, that's your next step. It's the oil that fuels our life. What is it that is currently fueling your life? Some of you feel worn out, tired, weary, and you need something more. What have you been fueling your life? Just been Netflix and chilling? Has it been overindulgence and food and alcohol and experiences? Has it just been social media, social media, social media? Has, have you allowed the consumption of the criticism of our culture and our community and the news cycle and all? What have you been fueling your lamp and light with? May we, my prayer is that we would possess a full, robust life of faith because we're willing to pay the price to grab a hold of the truth. We would do it daily, these spiritual disciplines. Second thing I want us to look at is not just about possessing a life of faith, but it is about the priority of the life of faith. Have you ever said to yourself, oh, I'll do that next. I'll do that in a little while. I'll do that later. I'll do that tomorrow. The problem is next and later and tomorrow never arrive, do they? Some of you have been waiting to start a savings account next. <laughs> Haven't started it yet. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my life together next, but I'm gonna sow my wild oats and then I'll start living responsibly next. The problem is next never comes. Next, after I have kids, I'll really get back in church. Next, after the kids are done with traveling sports, then I will really, really become a full committed, full court follower of Jesus. Next, after, after that. And then next, after I enjoy my hobbies and after my kids are out on their own, then I'll really work on my marriage. But right now it's all about them and then I'll do it, I'll do it next. It's the next thing on my list, but do it next. But next never comes. Next, after, after I retire, that's when I'll really find a consistent pattern of giving. Once I know that I've got all of my, my, my ducks in a row, my 401k, once I know what retirement looks like, then I'll be consistent in giving to the kingdom of God. Next, after I retire, I'll, I'll do that next. Well, I'll get more involved next. After I'm done watching my grandkids do all of their traveling sports, then I'll really start volunteering and making a difference in the world around me next. I'll do it, I'll do it next, Pastor. I'm gonna do it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But next never comes. Jesus said we have to seek first the kingdom of God. And all those other things get, get added. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Put first things first and we get second things thrown in. But if we put second things first, we lose both first and second things. Friends, here's all I'm trying to say, is that we must do now what matters most. We can't wait for it later to go, I'll just run out real quick and buy that. No, the life of faith is a daily pursuit based on your priorities. Your priorities are paving the way for your life of faith. You are living a life of faith based on your priorities right now. 
And if you feel like your life of faith and spiritual things, it feels zapped and empty and dry, that tells you where your priorities have been. There is a priority that we place in participating, in practicing, not in performing, and not in being perfect. If you're like, well, I'll wait till I get my life all cleaned up, then I'll really get to know God. Friends, that's, that's not the way of the kingdom. God's not waiting for you to clean up because you can't clean yourself up anyways. Don't procrastinate. Just choose to participate in the life. Well, if I get a little bit better at this or I, or I get a little more time or if I can do this. No, it just do right now what you need to do. Choose to sit in silence some this week. Choose to pray. Show up to first Wednesday. Well, I'm not really good at prayer. Don't wait to do prayer. Just show up and practice prayer. The only way it becomes a a more routine and a habit is to practice it more. Nothing else will fill you. So don't do next what you need right now to fuel you. There is nothing else that will satisfy you like a personal relationship with Jesus. Nothing. So don't do next what you need to do now. There's a priority. There's a possession and a price that we pay. That we, that we were willing to invest in and do the hard work of the kingdom of God for priority's sake, but we also, there's a purpose to it. Number three, there's a purpose to it. And the purpose of all of these spiritual disciplines, the purpose of prayer and forgiveness and communion and gathering with the saints and, and to do all of these actions, the purpose is not behavior modification, but a heart transformation. It's, it's not about if I do more prayer, then I'll curse less. It's not some equation. No, it's true. The more you pray, the more your heart gets cleaned out, and so you'll likely curse less. But that's not, that's not the point. The point isn't to appear perfect on the outside, and I'm just gonna change my behavior so that I'm approved and loved by God. God isn't after your behavior like some trained monkey. He's after your heart. He wants your heart to be transformed. He wants your heart to grow softer every single day. It's about having long obedience in the same direction. That's the heart that's been transformed. Listen, I wanna be better at 70 and at 90 than I was at 27 and at 39. I I wanna... I want to be more in love with Jesus when I'm 70, and I want it to be more evident when I'm 90 than when I was 39. I'm not 39 yet. Keep breathing for another year. I'll get there. I, I want, I want at the, at, towards the end of my life, as my life goes, as I age, I want to be more full of grace than I am right now. I want to be less judgmental than I am right now. I want to be less religious than I am right now. As I grow in my life, as I follow Jesus down the path, I want to be more generous and gracious. I want a rich intimacy with God that is evident to the people around us. I want people to look at me when I'm 70 and say, man, that guy has spent so much time with Jesus. He talks like him and he acts like him. And I just sense this love and compassion around I like. I want that when I'm 70 and 90. 
I want it to be ever evolving and growing and more robust in my forgiveness. I want to be quicker to repent and quicker to give forgiveness as I grow in my faith. And if you have been following Jesus and that's not been your pattern, then you're missing the purpose of your relationship with God. You're missing the purpose of reading scripture. It's not so you can win an argument. It's not so you can stand and defend the faith and articulate the nuances of what it means in the second coming. It's so that you can be a light to the world around you that when people look at you, they can't help but see Jesus. That's what I want in my life. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for your kids. That's why we're not giving up on this idea of gathering as a church. That's why we're gonna use every means necessary to reach every home, every prison cell, every coffee shop, every iPhone and to Android device and in every car and at every ball field and at every place. We're gonna use everything we can to help point people to Jesus because the purpose isn't to behave a certain way so that we earn God's love. It's to live a certain way so that we can't help but see our light shine. Jesus said, let your light so shine, among others, so that may they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't do good works so that I can prove that God has my heart. I do good works because God has my heart. Don't miss the purpose. God is after transforming your heart. God wasn't up, the, the bridegroom, when he arrived, he was not upset that all 10 of them fell asleep. This isn't a sermon about be more legalistic, be more evangelistic. Don't you dare miss an opportunity to share your faith and to present the gospel. And if you walk past that person in Walmart and you didn't tell them about Jesus, their blood is on your hands. It's not do more. If it was do more, he would have gotten upset that they fell asleep, that they were resting. God wants to give you rest because when you know the love of the bridegroom, he's gonna return one day. And whenever that day comes, it's gonna be a grand affair celebrating his love for his bride not in looking at whether or not you've done enough to earn the right to the party. See, the oil and the lamp was so that the light could be seen. But once they got to the party, they didn't need the oil anymore because they were with the light of the world. Jesus wants to transform your life now so other people can see the way to where the bridegroom is coming. So they can see the way to have a relationship with the bridegroom. God's purpose is always about transforming our heart. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast about it. For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. 
grace is available for you today. Today is the day of salvation. All you have to do is choose to put your faith in Jesus and not in your own self, not in your own good deeds, not in your own good works. The relationship that you long for starts at a moment of surrender, and that's a gift that you then get to possess. You might be watching today, and you know you're far from God. You know that you've been trying to do it on your own, and it isn't working out. But today is your day. Grace is available to you today. Grace is indeed available to everyone today, but that grace will not be infinite because there will be a day when your decision has been made and the final bell rings, the door gets closed, the party begins, and you're either in the party or you're not in the party, and you're in the party by God's grace because you chose to believe in Jesus. There will come a day when the door does close. But today we're living in a place and in a time where a dispensation of God's grace is available to anyone who would call on the name of the Lord. They will be saved. Some of you need to call on the Lord today. That's your step. You need to stop right here, right now, and just say, Jesus, I give you my all. I give you my all. Listen, you cannot erase your regrets, but you don't have to repeat them. You might be living in a place of regret, wishing, oh, I wish I would have been more, uh, put, I wish I would have put in more with my relationship. I wish I would have done this. I wish I should have, could have, would have. You can't erase your regret. The good news is you don't have to repeat it either. Why? Because Jesus wants to come and redeem your past and reset your life's purpose. Jesus is the answer that you need to reset your life's purpose, to have your heart transformed. Please, please, please do not hear these spiritual disciplines, the gathering of the believers, the scripture and prayer and communion and worship and forgiveness and serving other people. These, these things that we do as followers of Jesus, please don't hear it as a legalistic way of living your life and condemning somebody else's life, of me legalistically measuring your life compared to somebody else's life. The brides didn't compare themselves with the other brides. It wasn't their job to criticize or compare or scrutinize or judge whether or not they were wise or foolish. It was the bridegroom alone who does that. And the same is true in our life and our world today. It's Jesus that we need here and now he wants to redeem our past and reset our purpose. He wants to transform our hearts. As we come to this moment of communion, I ask that you would just take a minute and bow. Bow your eyes, quiet your heart. Take the elements there in your hand. We have an opportunity right now to prepare for the party that's going to come later. Every wedding party requires preparation. For some of you, the, the thing you need to do to prepare for the wedding party is simply to put your faith in Jesus and to indicate I'm giving and surrendering my life to him right now. Just simple prayer. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I believe in you. That's what you need to do right here, right now. If you're watching Church Online, there's a little link you can click and identify that you are surrendering your life to Jesus. Just simply 
asking him, it prepares you for the party to come later. For some of us, you've been following Jesus for a while and you've gotten sidetracked. You've quit paying the price and investing into the relationship. You've kind of been cruising on autopilot. Maybe it hasn't been the priority that you've wanted it to. Maybe it's been a moment of recognizing that the purpose has been misused. You've been using the purpose of judging others and criticizing others and trying to win arguments rather than falling more in love with Jesus yourself. Would you just take a minute and say, Jesus, would you transform my heart in this moment? Just take a minute and reflect in his presence. get ready to take the bread and we get ready to take the juice, I want you to know that through this act of communion, we are describing and reminding ourselves that Christ is within us. The oil of the spirit that you need is already in you. This is the new covenant that we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, but we get to enjoy it's because of what Jesus did at the cross. If you would take the bread. Lord, as we get ready to take this bread, I thank you that it would remind us that your body was broken for us. Starting a new covenant of restoration and healing. Healing our wounds and our past. Redeeming us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Go ahead and take the, the wafer and the bread. Lord, as we get ready to take up the cup, Lord, we thank you that it is your blood that was spilled at the cross, that poured out, that removes and forgives us from our sins. You redeem us through your blood, and Lord, we receive it in faith, knowing that we now get to be partakers and distributors of your love and your forgiveness to the world around us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Father, I pray for your people today that are watching and listening. Lord, I pray that you would meet us, that this week would be a week that we would pursue you, that, that we would indeed, God, this week build the relationship that we long for through a, a possession that is found in the priority and the ongoing purposeful practice of these spiritual disciplines. May we spend time with you, be drawn to your word, see you and discover you in moments of prayer. May we continue to gather and prioritize all of these things in this life of faith. Lord, we pray these things in, in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and the Holy Spirit who remains in us, we pray in Jesus' name.